Let's pray again and ask the Lord's blessing on the ministry of the Word this afternoon. Father in heaven, help us to understand your Word. We thank you for this catechism that we have access to that explains the truths of the Christian faith very systematically and clearly. It is a great help to us. Help us to understand the doctrines that are contained here. We know they are rooted in Scripture. Scripture is the source. The Scriptures are our only authority. But Father, we thank you for this help. And do help us as we consider these commandments that you have given to us. Father, help us to not assume that we keep them. In fact, Lord, help us to see that we do break them in thought, word, and deed, and we are prone to if we do not. And Father, we are asking that you would give us the ability to live in constant obedience to you, Lord. We need your help. We need your assistance. And so by your Spirit, we pray that you would convict us of sin where it is present and sustain us, Lord. Strengthen us so that we might walk in a manner that is worthy. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Which is the second commandment? We come now to the second of the Ten Commandments. The answer is, I will read it. The second commandment is, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or the likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy to thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. That is Exodus 20, verses 4 through 6. What is required in the second commandment? And would you repeat after me? The second commandment requires the receiving, observing, and keeping pure and entire all such religious worship and ordinances as God has appointed in His Word. And the scripture reading for today is Deuteronomy 12, 28-30. There we read these words from the Lord, Be careful to obey all these words that I command you, that it may go well with you and with your children after you forever. When you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. When the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go in to dispossess, and you uh, dispossess them and dwell in their land, take care that you be not ensnared to follow them after they have been destroyed before you, and that you do not inquire about their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods, that I also may do the same? You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, For every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods, for they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. So far the reading of God's most holy word. May He add His blessing to the preaching of it this afternoon. As we continue our study of the Ten Commandments and come now to the second of the ten, I should remind you of something that we learned in 1 Timothy 1.8. There we learn that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. The law is good, brothers and sisters. It is good in and of itself. It must be, for it comes from God's hand. 
And it is also good for us. The Christian must know God's law and strive to obey it. I hope that you would agree with this. The law is good. It is good for the Christian. But as we study God's law, do not forget how Paul qualified his statement there in 1 Timothy 1.8. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. The warning is that the law is not good for us if we misinterpret and misuse it. And how do men misuse the law? Well, one way they misuse the law is to see it as if it were a way for us to gain right standing before God through the keeping of it. The law is good, but we must not forget that we are sinners. We have violated God's law and thought word indeed. We are left to ourselves, guilty therefore. We are sinners saved only by grace. We have received the forgiveness of sins through faith in Christ who kept this law perfectly whose blood was shed on behalf of sinners like you and me, for the wages of sin is death. How is the law good then? Well, it is good in that it shows us our sin. It convinces us of our need for a Savior. It instructs us concerning the way of righteousness and has been used by God to restrain evil in the world to this present day. God's law is good if we use it lawfully. And we are to keep it, not to earn God's favor, For this He freely and graciously gives. He gives us His favor. It's a gift. But we are to keep God's law out of gratitude for all that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. This is the proper approach to God's law for those of us who are in Christ. In this sermon we will begin to consider the second of the Ten Commandments, which is, You shall not make for yourself a carved image. You should probably be aware that the Lutheran and Roman Catholic traditions include this commandment with the first commandment. Did you know that? They have ten commandments just like we do, but they number them differently. And so, for them, the first commandment is this, You shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make for yourself a carved image. As I have said, they still have ten commandments. Now, how do they get ten? They have nine now, according to our accounting. Well, what they do is they divide the last commandment, which forbids covetousness, into two. They divide it into two. But I think it is much more natural for us to see uh, that last commandment as one. And I think it is much more natural to see commandments one and two, according to our number uh, numbering, as being clearly distinct. They're dealing with different things, aren't they? The first commandment teaches us who we are to worship. Who are we to worship? God alone. We have no other gods before Him or in His sight. And the second commandment teaches us how we are to worship. So two very distinct things are being considered here. Both have to do with worship, but in the first we say, who are we to worship? In the second we learn how we are to worship. In fact, you would do well to remember that the first four commandments are all about the worship of God. The first tells us who we are to worship, the second how we are to worship, the third instructs us concerning the attitude that we have in worship, and the fourth tells us about the time of worship. We will learn there that one day in seven is to be devoted to Him as holy. Who are we to worship, brothers and sisters? God alone. How are we to worship? Not with images, but in the way that God prescribes in His Word. Next Sunday we will ask what is forbidden in the second commandment. And it will be then that we talk more directly about the prohibition of images in worship. We'll save that for for next week. But today we are asking, what is required in the second commandment? 
Clearly the commandment, the second commandment, forbids something. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. But we are asking, what does this commandment require? What does this commandment require? And our catechism is right to say that the second commandment requires the receiving, observing, and keeping pure and entire all such religious worship and ordinances as God has appointed in His Word. I want for you to think of the implications of this. When God says, no graven images, He is saying, you are to worship only Me, and no, it is not up to you to decide how you are to worship. That is the implication of the second commandment. That is the thing that is here required within the second commandment. You are to worship me alone, first commandment, and no, it is not up to you to decide how you are to worship, but you are to worship in the way that I require. Can you see that God in the second commandment is saying, it's up to me how I am worshipped and not you? It's up to my will, it's up to, to, to me to reveal to you how you are to worship me, and it's not up to your will and your desires. When God says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, thou shalt not bow down thyself to them or serve them, He is claiming not only the right to be worshipped, but the right to determine how. And this is what our catechism is getting at. It is drawing our attention to what is implied in the second commandment. God not only demands our worship, He demands that we worship Him in a particular way. And this way of worship is revealed in His holy word. Here in the second commandment, graven images are forbidden. But as we continue reading the law of Moses, we find that God was even more specific. He revealed to Old Covenant Israel how they were to worship with great precision. Perhaps you've noticed this. When you read the Old Testament, they were to worship in a very particular way. They were to honor certain days beyond even the Sabbath day, the weekly Sabbath. There were washings that they were to perform. There were ceremonies that they were to perform. God was very specific to reveal to Old Covenant Israel how it was that they were to worship. And as you know, He has also revealed how we who live under the New Covenant are to worship. The point is this, we are not free to determine for ourselves how God is to be worshipped, but are bound to receive, observe, and keep pure and entire all such religious worship and ordinances as God has appointed in His Word. This Principle is implied in the second commandment, but it is explicitly stated in that Deuteronomy passage that we read earlier. There God is speaking to Israel through Moses saying, Be careful to obey all these words that I command you. And later he says, Do not inquire about their gods, that is the false gods of the nations, saying, How did these nations serve their gods that I also may do the same? You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. And then finally, Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. Did you just hear that? Do everything that I command in my word. Be careful not to add to this law. Be careful not to take away from it. Brothers and sisters, God's law establishes that we are not to go beyond what God has commanded, nor are we to take away from what He has commanded regarding the worship of His most holy name. Notice that our catechism teaches that we are to receive what the Word of God says regarding the proper worship of God. That is to be our disposition as Christians. We are to be open to receiving what God has revealed in His Word. We are to submit ourselves to the Word of God. We are to receive it. And having received His Word, we are to observe or obey what the Word of God says regarding the proper worship of God. And having obeyed His Word regarding worship, we are to keep it purely and entirely. 
So we're to be careful to keep pure and entire the worship of God, to do everything that He commands us, and to be sure that our worship is not corrupted by anything not commanded in Holy Scripture. And all of this might seem very obvious to you. Maybe it even seems inconsequential. You're thinking, well, of course. Isn't this obvious that we are to worship God as He has prescribed? And really, what difference does it make? What, why take all of this time to, to talk about these principles? But I will tell you, it is not obvious to all, and it is certainly not inconsequential. This doctrine informs everything we do when we assemble together as Christ's church for worship. Why do we assemble for corporate worship every week and on Sundays, and not more or less frequently or on some other day? Have you ever thought of that? Weekly worship. I mean, it might be more convenient to have monthly worship, right? Uh, we'd save money on gas, I guess. Uh, monthly worship. That, that would work better for, for my schedule. How about yours? What do you say? No, we, we cannot. We're not free to make that decision because God's Word says that we're to honor God, we're to worship Him and keep as holy one day in seven. That was established from the beginning of time. Under the Old Covenant, it was the seventh. Under the New, it's the first. We, we know this. We're to submit to God's Word in this regard. And, and why not call the church to assemble together for corporate worship on some other day? Thursday nights are free. You know, that would be more convenient. Are we saying that the church isn't able to get together on Thursday night for some other function, small groups, class, whatever? No. We're talking about corporate worship here. The worship of God. When the people of God assemble in t- as a congregation in in its entirety. When are we to do that? Sundays, according to the Scriptures. It is the Lord's Day, the Christian Sabbath. So, why do we do what we do when we assemble? Why do we pray, sing, read, and teach the Scriptures, baptize, and, and, and um, partake of the Lord's Supper? Why do we do those things when we assemble? I mean, maybe there would be a more efficient way to teach, you know? besides doing it this way. Uh, maybe there'd be a more effective way of, of, of helping God's people be sanctified. Uh, maybe there'd be a more effective way to bring about their growth. But it's not for us to decide. God has ordained that when we assemble, we pray, sing, read, and teach the Scriptures, baptize, partake of the Lord's Supper. And not more than this, not less. God's Word tells us these things. Now, are we free to make certain decisions based upon preference or prudence regarding the worship of God? Of course we are. We meet at 10 a.m. in the morning and not 6 a.m. because 6 a.m. would be unnecessarily burdensome to the people of God. And you're grateful for that. The sermon is typically in the morning 45 to 50 minutes long and not three hours long. It could be three hours long. There's nothing forbidding that. The Word of God is to be read and taught. But we have chosen to keep our services to about an hour and a half and to preach for... 45 to 50 minutes. It, it works, and we're free to make that decision. The time for worship, assuming it is on the Lord's Day, the place, this chapel, the language spoken, the particular order in which we do things are all called circumstances of worship. The circumstances may change, but the elements of worship may not. When the church assembles for worship, the Word of God is to be read and explained, the people of God are to pray and to sing, and the Lord's Supper is to be observed though there are differences of opinion regarding how often. These are the elements of worship for the New Covenant people of God. These things are to be done, not more, not less. Again, the circumstances may change, but the elements must not. 
And you should know that Christians and churches have different opinions about this. What has just been described to you goes by the name, the regulative principle of worship. Have you ever heard that term before, that phrase? The regulative principle of worship. This is the Reformed view. This is our view. It is our belief that the Scriptures regulate our worship. In Christ we are free to worship as God has commanded only. And we are forbidden from adding anything to our worship not commanded in the Holy Scriptures. This is the regulative principle of worship. There is another view, and it goes by the name, the normative principle of worship. According to this view, the church is to do what God has commanded in worship, but is also free to do whatever is not expressly forbidden. That is the normative principle of worship. In other words, the only things off limit are those things that God's Word directly forbids. Directly forbids. And I probably don't need to tell you that it is this second view that is the most common today. I think you know that. When churches include as elements of worship things like drama, poetry, painting, exhibitions, dance, musical performances, and the like, they show that they have adopted the normative principle of worship. They imagine that they are free to do whatever they wish, provided that the Scriptures do not forbid it. And so, since the Scriptures do not forbid drama performances and worship, then we are free to do it, would be their reasoning. I would like for you to think of where that will lead, though, or where that might lead. There are a lot of things that the Scriptures do not expressly forbid. To open that door, I think, is very dangerous. And in fact, it is contrary to what we have just read in the law of God. In fact, the situation is far worse in some churches. Some do incorporate into their worship things that are forbidden, like the use of images. And others neglect to do what God has commanded. I think this is growing ever more common today. Uh, Foreign things are brought in, things not commanded in the Scriptures are brought in and used in worship, while the things that God has expressly commanded are neglected. And so churches are perhaps even neglecting the reading and preaching and teaching of God's Word. So too they, uh, they neglect even the proper observation of the Lord's Supper. Just to mention a couple of things. I think these churches have forgotten God's law, which says, Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do, You shall not add to them or take from it. And brothers and sisters, I will say to you that we are not immune from this, are we? We are not immune from this. We must, as a congregation, be resolute to receive, observe, and keep pure and entire all such religious worship and ordinances as God has appointed in His Word. We must be on guard lest we neglect or go beyond what God has commanded. And man does have this awful tendency... To think that his ways are better than God's ways. Have you ever noticed that? Yes, this is what God's word says, but but we are so creative, you know? And especially in our modern and scientific age, we might have found a better way to do things. We have this awful tendency to think that our ways are better than God's ways. And some have called this will worship, will worship. Men love to worship their own wills, their own desires. We are prone to bow bow before the altar of our own desires and creativity. And we must resist this, brothers and sisters. Instead, we must be eager to submit to God, 
to receive His Word and to be found faithful in the keeping of it, knowing that His ways are best. What is required in the second commandment? Repeat after me. The second commandment requires the receiving. Observing and keeping. Pure and entire. All such religious worship and ordinances. As God has appointed in His Word. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, help us to know what Your Word says regarding Christian worship. Help us to appreciate it. Help us to submit to it and keep all that You have revealed. Our worship, O Lord, is so very simple. And You have commanded that it be kept simple. No images are used. And the things that we do here each and every Lord's Day are are very basic. We read the scriptures. They're explained. They're applied. We sing and we pray. We partake of the Lord's Supper as we enjoy fellowship with one another. Simple things. And yet you have determined to use these very ordinary things to accomplish your purposes in and through us. Father, help us to not fall into that trap of believing that we know better than you. But instead, help us to be faithful as your people, to do all that you have commanded. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.